This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. So what kinds of um, topics do you cover in, say, a year of breakaway meetings? Do they kind of jump all over the place, or are they, or is there a specific uh, approach that you take? Does it move around from year to year, or you have something pretty standardly that you try and cover because you realize you're laying some foundations? Yeah, that's the interesting challenge is, you know, 25% of your audience is brand new every year. Mm-hmm. So you're not necessarily building over the years. Uh-huh church, you know. Um, so what I've tried to do is within a year, I'm always trying to move between Old Testament, new, a narrative, an epistle, giving them exposure to different parts of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And then I'm always trying to work in like a topical series as well. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if I can do that, you're hitting every different area that they may have questions or issues or thoughts come up. So your Bible study is is, is book based with the topic mixed in every now and then. Is that what you're saying, um, or is it more topically focused? Yeah, I would say, and it's probably just my preference. I'll lean towards teaching through a book, but for me, like the way Breakaway works, you know, a school semester is only 16 weeks. Okay, you lop off holidays. You go. I've got 12 sermons. Uh huh. So when I go into a semester, I go, okay, I got 12. Um, that's 48 across a, a normal college career. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so that's go, one year of preaching. I mean, yeah. in a church yeah. terms. So I go, okay, I'm not going to do every verse of Romans for three years. I'm yeah. just not going to. Like, I'll do the book of James in five weeks, you know, uh-huh. or something like that. And, uh, uh, and then I'll cover some kind of topical issue, you know, and so I try to break it up that way. That what kinds sense. of topics do you cover when you cover topics? Yeah, I think um, – I'm trying to think what the last one I did was. I did sort of um, why college, like why even go. You know, some some of the big – Now that you've gotten here, I'm going to tell you, why are you sitting here? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Yeah, exactly, yeah. Well, here's the thing. When I presented that to them, you know, I, I gave them the latest polls from Pew Research uh-huh. where they interviewed college professors, college presidents, parents, students, and their answers were all over the board. Huh. So it was no one in America knows what exactly we're doing here. Uh-huh. Why are you here? And they came up here afterwards, and they're like, "None of us asked that question. We're just kind of here because it's the next thing you do." Uh-huh. Example of the lack of contemplation about doing what yeah. you do. Yeah, do it because you do it. Yeah, but, um, you know, some of the biggest issues for them is you know this is their first time out on their own. You mm-hmm. know, and so things that we think are normal now, structuring your day. I mean, they went from a very structured day to they only have to be somewhere 15 hours a week. Yeah. And that's if they even go. Yeah. And so they're having to build their own structures. They're having to take on responsibilities. And they're trying to ask these big questions of who am I? What am I built to do? Where am I going? Yeah, because universities are pretty good at making sure people at least think about that question. 
Yeah. So that's a lot of what we do. Mm -hmm. It's sort of the, why are you here? Uh, how do I trust God with the unknown? You know, mm -hmm. um, how do I deal with anxiety and stress? And then sex is always big. You know, um, I think we've taught every passage of the Bible on sex possible. Mm -hmm. I was kind of off it. I was kind of like, you know, we've done that to death. I'm sort of over it. And then uh, we did a series on confession. And I put these big trash cans at, near the stage and said, if there's some things you've never gotten off your chest, they're weighing on you. This isn't the end of it. But if you want to start by just writing it down and throwing it in these deals, you can. So we had thousands of them. And four out of five were some just really tragic sexual thing in their life. Wow. And I looked at that and was like, never mind. We're doing a whole new series on it, you know? Yeah. And we did Song of Solomon. Rather than beat him up on Stop Doing That, we said, let me show you a beautiful picture of what you really want, mm -hmm. love, commitment, and sex all together. And so that was fun. But Wow. Well, uh, let me let me transition now. What are the intellectual challenges that a that a student finds on campus? Are they being challenged with regard to their faith when they're on campus? I I, I, my, I will I will just make this observation, mm -hmm. except for maybe UCLA. Um, uh, the other schools that we've done these interviews on the the campus is uh, if if well, it's not neutral. It's usually pretty hostile to the faith. So, um, uh, but. My sense is, is at least there's the potential in certain parts of the country where that's not yet the case, at least not entirely. The the campus is more mixed in that regard. UCLA came up that way. There were there were pockets of Christian activity, and you could find Christian professors on campus, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, I suspect that uh, Texas A&M is a is a little more of a mixed bag. Am I right about that or wrong? Yeah, I think so. I mean. There's any student you talk to will tell a story of a professor that was fairly hostile to Christianity, mm -hmm. but the context as a whole, mm -hmm. I mean, maybe in their dorm they might feel that, you know, mm -hmm. or there's, there's places and ways you could live. But if you want to be a Christian here, it's not like, boy, I am constantly having to deal with being assailed by people. Now, you know, is there any early, are there any early Christianity classes on the campus? I mean there's not, no Faith not, Buster class like there say is there's a nickname for a class at Princeton. It's the Faith Busters class. I mean everyone oh knows what it's about and and what it's attempting to do. So Yeah. There's not no, anything like that at A and M? Not really. I mean there's there are a few Christianity religion classes, and uh, I, they're not converting anyone to Christianity, but they're not really successfully undermining it for a lot of people either. Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, at A and M, um, you don't get as many philosophy majors at A and M. You know, A and M is is um, yeah. Plato and Socrates are not roaming around your campus. <laughs> really, <laughs> and. Uh, and again, that's not a knock on their intellect. It's more A&M is cranking out engineers. You right. Know? So, um, you know, who was it? The Wall Street Journal put out their deal where A&M students are some of the top recruits in the country by Fortune 500 companies. People love Aggies because hmm. they work hard. Uh -huh. This is a work hard culture. Uh -huh. Like, uh, I'm not having to 
kick kids to get them volunteering. Uh-huh. If anything, you got students that have joined 40 organizations and are trying to figure out how to balance it. Like these, these are stallions running at a hundred miles an hour. They're not donkeys. You got to kick to move, you know? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, but with that, it, it's an unreflected upon running, and, and a lot of them, what it is, it, what it can become is just, I'm here to get a business degree, get an engineering degree, get a law degree to go make that money, mm-hmm. you know? And so they're not really contemplating the philosophical underpinnings of that. They have a school system that's telling them, here's how to get hired, mm-hmm. here's how to get a job, here's how to make money, we'll set you up to do that, and it's just full speed towards uh as much as i can you know mm-hmm. and so um that's what i run into you know so so the the it, it the intellectual challenge is not as great as the as the as just the social how can i say it, the wave of of just pursuing life overwhelming people spiritually is that what you what you're saying yeah and it's it's sort of like i don't know that there's any professor telling them Students, I want you to unashamedly chase money. It will solve all your problems. It is fantastic. And just extol the virtues of money. Mm -hmm. They're not being encouraged to contemplate their worldview that way. Mm -hmm. They just get here and the assumption is, okay, uh, you're going to want a job at this kind of company to get at this kind of company. You need this kind of grade, so you'd better do this. And so let's ride. And they're like, oh, oh ah, ah. and they're not even thinking about, do I even want that? Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's more just being caught up in the rush. And, uh, you know, so. Um, it's that's like a person who trains for law, and then when they get to the, they get their law degree, they get through, they've got their job, they're making their money, but they get there and they realize this job is taking 85, 90 hours a week and is sucking the life out of me at the same yeah. time. Well, um, who was it? The president of Wake Forest a couple of years ago came out and admitted it. He said, we have a disproportionate number of students going into law and medicine because of the allure of prestige and wealth. And he said, what we're getting back now is higher and higher reports of job dissatisfaction Hmm. because they didn't go in thinking, what am I gifted at, passionate at, and able to do well for the sake of the world? It was just what will make me a success Mm -hmm. and without even a real reflected upon definition of what success is. Mm -hmm. And you're being told success is money and a job that looks successful. Oh, okay. And it's like, man, uh, uh," but that's... That's not proclaimed, it's assumed. Mm-hmm. So as a minister, you have to say, here's the assumption we're operating off of, and mm-hmm. you have to name it. You mm-hmm. have to name the spirit, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And then cast it out, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's what's happening. It's, it's not, it's, it's not uh, a boxing match where it's right in front of you. It's, it's, a, it's a ghost. It's a ghost that's moving. It's a shadow that's moving. Exactly. Yeah. And so you have to name it. Mm-hmm. This is what the culture is teaching you. Does everyone agree that? Does everyone see that? Okay, let me analyze that and see if that makes sense at all. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the idea. Interesting. Well, let me let me shift to the kind of the last level of questions that I want to ask you, and that is, you know, part of what we're doing with these is 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 uh, they're on the net. They're available to churches. They're available to youth ministers, and we really have in mind here. Uh, two audiences, parents on the one end and 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 uh, high school kids on the other. You know, yeah. um, 
those who are you know on the edge of being who will be in breakaway in you know next year or four or five years from now. Um, yeah. So I, I've got kind of three three audiences here. One is the church leaders, the other are the kids, and the third are the parents. I'm not sure what order to take them in, but <laughs> yeah. what advice would you give to those three groups? What? Let me ask you this question. This is a better way to ask it. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you find youth leaders are not doing that you wish they would do that would help the students you work with be in a better place when they get to Texas A&M? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I would say – this may sound silly, but it's really true. I would say um, I would encourage them to bend their whole ministry around the two things that only the church can give these kids, and that is the truth and love. Mm-hmm. Everything else they can get in the culture better. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was a youth pastor right out of college and loved it and, and had a budget of like nothing, mm-hmm. you know. And um, when we started the youth ministry, I started the, the event that was kind of the gathering event, play games, loud music, you know, fun, the big thing. And then for me, I had a passion to just teach small groups with the Bible. And literally, we just studied the person of Jesus. And I'll never forget, man, sitting in there and there was this student looked at me and he said, I can't believe we're doing this. And I said, doing what? And he was like, reading the Bible. I'm like, what else do you do at a Bible study? And he was like, I don't know. I've just never really done this. And these students were blown away by this small group Bible study that was really teaching them the Bible. And then I worked really hard to get leaders that I told them, you're not chaperones. You're, you're here to love these kids and walk with them through college and teach them the truth or through high school. Mm-hmm. And our, our like shock and awe, good times and events stayed about this level. And our, we love you, ask about your day, and then really teach you a book of the Bible. We just kept outgrowing venues. Mm-hmm. And we realized they can get entertained better by everything else. Mm-hmm. But what they can't get is someone to honestly care about them. Mm-hmm. And so um, I would tell youth leaders, spend your money, your budget, your time, Hiring hard. I mean, make it hard to be a youth leader. Pick the best people and get people that really love these kids. Mm -hmm. And then make them people that don't just love kids, but love the truth of the gospel and will teach the Bible to these kids, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's what I would tell youth leaders is the big event is of of value, but um, grounding the kid in a loving environment where the truth flows freely, that's what they need, man. Hmm. You know? Uh, So, uh, you know, that's what I would encourage a youth pastor to do. This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on The Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. 
I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. Okay, so that's the youth pastor. What would you uh, what would you tell uh it probably wouldn't be very different, but it's worth distinguishing. What would you tell a senior pastor? How should he view you know, you know, the kids are oftentimes are the forgotten part of the church program that's handed yeah. over to someone else. So, uh, within the church. So, yeah. what would you say to senior pastors? You know, I would say you know, when I was a youth pastor, um Part of what I was doing is I, I I would look around at who were the kids that weren't just the good kids, but like the really mature kids, like mm-hmm. um, could articulate themselves well, were healthy and stable emotionally, were able to make good decisions on their own, uh, and loved the Lord. And I'm looking at those kids, and, and I remember going, okay, I'm going to see those kids and what's different about them, and all of them had parents in their life who spoke to them like they were adults. Hmm. And and by that, I mean they never belittled them. They didn't belittle their ideas. They weren't dismissive of them. They would engage things that they knew students valued and talk about them seriously with them, you know? And so that's what I would encourage ministers to do is the things that matter to students, um, talk about them like they matter, and then help them think through them well, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be anything from discussing pop culture things like movies or whatever. And it can be, when you think of illustrations, talk about the school context and how that would work out in a school culture. Hmm. But I wouldn't belittle like, you know, peer pressure with your friends. Be like, no, peer pressure was huge when you were in high school. So speak about it seriously, mm-hmm. you know? And so that... I would just say that respect goes a long way for them of you building credibility with them. Okay, so we've talked about the youth leader, and we talked about the senior pastor. Now let's shift to the family itself. What would you say to parents? Yeah, I would say um, talk to them. <laughs> talk to your children. You know, uh, and I would say I but would. Really- how you talk to them is important too, isn't it? Well, yeah, because what I would encourage them to do is help their child learn how to think things through, mm-hmm. you know? Um, this generation of students particularly, you know, um, I was kind of off of it because I thought it's a, it was a little overstated, but then it's amazing now you watch companies that recruit college students have parents' days now because so many parents were trying to negotiate their kids' salaries. Hmm. Their parents, yeah, coming to negotiate their salary, yeah, yeah, and and then I started getting letters periodically from parents if their kid wasn't accepted as a volunteer. You know, I would get a letter from their parents. I'm like, your kid's in college, like mm-hmm. your kid's deep into college. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> I don't know why I'm getting a letter from you. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> this is, come on, man. Like, uh, so I would encourage them to. Think with their students. Let let their young people articulate what's going on in life. Think with them. Help them 
process information and come up with decisions, because that's what's going to happen in college. Now, am I hearing an undercurrent, too, that says don't try and manage your kid's life so yeah. much that you incapacitate their ability to function oh. on their own? Am I hearing that, too? Yeah. So, um, absolutely. There, there was a movie, uh, Hannah, that mm-hmm. came out a few years ago. Did you see that one? No, I didn't. It's not... Uh, particularly amazing movie, but it was um, Eric Bana. And, uh, you know, I've got two little girls, uh-huh. and it starts with him raising his daughter, and they're out in, like, the wilderness. It starts with her, like, killing an elk and gutting it, and him teaching her hand-to-hand combat, but they're out in the middle of the woods. There's no boys. And I was telling my wife, I was like, I like where this movie's going. I mean, this girl, <laughs> he's got her educated, and he's got her away from all the crazies, but... When the movie develops, it's they have to move into society, uh-huh. into the world that he fears the most uh-huh. with all the social pressures. And what you find is she's got her ninja skills and can shoot a gun, but she has no preparation of how to handle society and make decisions. Mm-hmm. And so he's helped her in no way reason out what people are saying, the philosophy behind it. Does has it helped sense? her learn how to live life? No. Yeah. Um, And so that's what I would say, encourage wisdom to not just present to them data, but really help them assess and analyze wisdom. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's... uh, I I find that one of the things that happens, at least with a segment of kids, is is that, that their parents have managed their lives so much and in every detail that when the child gets to college and has to make choices, one of two things happens. Either they, they're incapacitated, they don't know how to do it, yeah, or they go wild. You know, yeah. I, all yeah. of a sudden I have this freedom I never had before, and I am grabbing it with gusto because yeah. I was never given that kind of space when I was, was growing up. And, and, and so yeah. the, uh, the, the management of the child – you know, which oftentimes is very well intentioned from the parent. I mean, yeah, totally. It, uh, you know, I mean, you know, we love our kids. We want to, we want to protect them. We want to make good decisions. Um, uh, has actually been done in such a way that when the child hits college and has to manage their life on their own, they be they haven't been given the skills to be able to do it. Yeah. Well, and and then I would say that I have two thoughts that that brought up. But mm-hmm. you know, one I would say. Um, to, to parents, just the encouragement of that Jesus is stronger than the culture. Mm-hmm. You know, I think um, as a new dad now, I definitely know that fear of my girls being out there in the world. And um, I was thinking about it this morning, just praying over that. And uh, the parent with the kid that's, you know, demonized, that's throwing itself into fire and whatever, you know, uh-huh. his dad is terrified. Oh my gosh, this. My son's being thrown into the fire and whatever, and so he comes to Jesus and goes, if you can, do something. And Jesus answers, if I can? Really? Yeah. Like, But this parent is so scared of these forces being enacted on his kid, um, J- Jesus is maybe able to do something. You know, he's yeah. completely uh, misunderstood the power he's dealing with. So have the confidence to trust God is what you're saying. Yeah. And teach them the same thing. Yeah, the college can be a scary place, but Jesus is stronger than the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing I would say maybe to ministers, pastors, is um, to not underestimate the devastation of fatherlessness. Hmm. 
I think um, it is uh, divorce has become common or normal, mm-hmm. and so we've gone. Well, it's normal, but its normalcy hasn't made it any less devastating to a child's confidence. So the shrapnel's everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, I found with a lot of students, we're having to help socialize them mm-hmm. because. You know, they've not learned good social skill. A lot of them, if they've spent all their time on video games, interpersonal skills can be lacking. And then some of them, they've just lacked good mentorship, even in life, mm-hmm. and need to know they're loved and cared for and valued. And um, and so I would say, uh, I would say to keep that in mind. You know. Well, now we're down to the to the to the kid himself or herself. He's yeah. a junior, senior in high school. What would you say to them uh, as they are, you know, really starting to think about college? And I'm, you know, two years away from being on my own. And man, is it going to be great? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would say um, you're going to be like who you run with. So have friends of all different stripes but make your core group people that are chasing after the lord because they're going to shape what kind of person you are Hmm. i found with students they have been raised in all different contexts and have read all different books but if you've put yourself in a social sphere that's good or bad you're going to be shaped by it whatever it is and so i would say you know choose your core group wisely Hmm. Be friends with everybody, but be wise about the core, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that would be probably my biggest encouragement. You want people that are going to speak to you the truth of God, build you up. Um, that's where you're going to find strength, you know? Mm. Uh, yeah, that would be my encouragement. Well, Ben, I really do appreciate you taking the time to be with us and to walk yeah. us through your ministry and what's been going on. And uh, you know, I, it, it, it's fun to talk to you because having I'm you know having seen firsthand what you're doing yeah. uh, and what the Lord is doing through you is is exciting and it's encouraging to see yeah um, someone coming alongside people whose whose lives are being formed and their life choices are being made and and you're trying the best you can to encourage them in a good and virtuous direction that is connected to the Lord and that's uh, that's uh, uh, enjoyable and so to get the time to to uh, interact with you and get your sense of kind of where things are on the campus is yeah. is really helpful it, it, now this is a standard the last question is a standard journalistic question okay that I get asked all the time when I'm interviewed is there anything that we haven't said or that we haven't covered that we should have that, that you'd like have. to right bring into the mix here uh oh gosh I don't know I mean um, that's always the way I answer it <laughs> you know it is a it is an enormous privilege to work with this generation to intersect with students at this age this it's such an exciting they're a crazy incongruous mix of adult and child mm-hmm. you know we joke about there's no other time in life where you can literally study physics in the morning and then go racing down a slip and slide after lunch you know, <laughs> who does that yeah college students do that and uh it's such an amazing, strange, wonderful time to intersect with them, and um, 
and we're grateful to do it. So I would tell people, pray for the college campus. Sometimes it can feel really separated from the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but God's at work. God's doing amazing things. And there's, this is a fun time to intersect with a human life. You know, as you say that, one other thing comes to mind, and that is it is a little bit unusual to hear, um, although we did hear it also in a little bit in the California interview, interestingly enough, uh, um, the the conscious effort to be sure that these kids get connected to a larger, and if I can say, cross-generational community in which they can be a part, in yeah. which as an adult they begin to interact with people of all ages in, in the context of this very formative stage of their faith. It's it's It actually is a very important uh, part of the equation, it seems to me. Yeah. So that seems commendable and hopefully yeah. um, hopefully uh, other people will will see the value in perhaps you know we tend to think of there's parachurch ministries and then there's the local church ministries and you know what God has put asunder let no let no ministry <laughs> put together yeah, right. uh, and uh, uh, yeah. and and I think that what you're what what you're modeling and what you're talking about here is a wedding of the parachurch and the church in such a way that they actually mutually uh, encourage uh, the students to be connected in the various contexts in which they have to live, yeah. And uh, and that that's commendable. So I appreciate well, that very much. You know, we've seen it. Um, you know, when I first got here, we did a lunch with ministers, and we had like three come. And it was awesome. Mm-hmm. And we did one this fall, and there were 70 of us. Hmm. And we pray together. We're friends. I brought them on stage. They come to Breakaway. And, you know, Jesus said it when uh, they will believe the Father has sent me. You know, let them be one as we're one so that they'll know that the Father sent me. Like, the gospel's legitimized in the community when people see us get along. Mm-hmm. So, for me, as a parachurch leader... I go, I do think there should be missionaries on the campus. Somebody who's coming in because the campus has its own culture. But I think we fail as parachurches if we're not connecting them back to churches, because mm-hmm. that's where they'll go the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know any parachurch that would say, ah, we don't value the local church. But I think pragmatically, sometimes you see them not working hard to celebrate and connect students with the local Yeah, church. I think the inertia, uh, the natural inertia of ministry is such that you stay disconnected unless you really work at it. Yeah, and what we found is as students see us work together, it legitimizes the message, it brings a power to it, a strength to it, and what we found is everybody wins. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the churches are growing, we're growing. There, there's a way to do it where everybody wins, and it's by championing each other, you know. Well, again, thank you again for taking this time, and uh, yeah. you know, I'm sure we'll, our paths will cross in the future. And uh, all the best to you there at A&M as you, uh, as you proceed through the year, and we just really do appreciate uh, you taking the time to be with us on the table. Well, thanks, Dr. Bach. I love it. Grateful for you. And if I don't see you soon, you know, I brought I, – I keep these – all by my desk. <laughs> <laughs> it's a frightening thought. Yeah. Anyway. I appreciate you, man. I'm losing sleep just looking at the, the, that stack. Anyway, great to see you, Ben. All the best. And we thank you for being with us on the table where we discuss issues of God and culture. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.